0: Good afternoon. Welcome to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. we we'll look forward to having you on the show. Thanks for joining us. This afternoon's episode is titled, All Travail is Vanity and Vexation of Spirit. It shall be focused on the study of Ecclesiastes Chapter 4, before we go any further, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee, Lord, as Solomon was teaching us here in Ecclesiastes, Lord, how better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit, and how he says two is better than one. So, Father, give us a spirit of unity among each other, to be there for each other, to tarry for one another pray for. You know, Father, that you've given us friendships and companionships in this journey to be Lord and encouragement along the way to each other. So help us to be like Joshua and Caleb, to encourage each other in the Lord and to look steadfastly to your promise and to refuse to look at the surroundings and what they say and call them lying vanities. Thank thee for all these things. Speak to us today. In the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Ecclesiastes, Chapter 4.
1: Chapter 4 So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praised the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together, and eateth his own flesh. Better is an handful with quietness, than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, For whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit.
0: Up next,
1: we shall listen to
0: a sermon by Reverend William Branham titled The Investments. This was preached in 1964 on March the 14th. We'll begin a paragraph 25 up to paragraph 49 as well as paragraph 163 up to paragraph 195. I trust you find it to be a blessing.
2: A good businessman is always looking for a a good sound investment. If he isn't, then he isn't a good businessman. He must look for something that's real. And I'd like to talk to you on the invitation that I give to you a few moments ago on this eternal life policy. As I introduce myself as a, a businessman. And I have a business and I'd like to talk to you a few moments about it. And a few scriptures I have written down here and texts I'd like to use these for a few moments. These notes. It's not a, a good business to gamble. Any man knows that. Gambling is not a good business because it's taking a chance. You never, or seldom, see a gambler. One day he's a rich man, the next day he's begging. So you take too much of a chance to to gamble. I think a a, a gambler is is just simply living on the spare of the moment and not looking forward to the future, or you wouldn't be gambling. Gambling. And I do not believe in some of these uh, get-rich-overnight investments either by some unidentified business. Now, any good businessman wouldn't take a chance like that. Maybe on your your life's savings, your earnings, and you would uh, invest it in some uh, get-rich-right-quick. Ni- get it's unidentified, someone running with some kind of an idea, here we are. Uh, we got a certain firm here. There's no background to it. I think a good, sound-thinking man would be foolish to try to make an investment in such a, a company as that because I had a friend one time that, that tried such a thing, and when he did, he, he lost everything he had, and he lost all of his life's earnings about ready to retire, and he thought, well, I'll, I'll take this chance because the man seemed to be he knew what he was talking about, But come to find out uh, the company was just a make-believe company and no stocks or nothing. So the the poor fellow lost everything he had. So I think if a man wants to make a good investment, he should first check his company or whatever he's making an investment in to find out what he's going to do. I think any sensible thinking person would do that. then again... Before I go on, I like to say it's not a good idea to keep your money in your pocket. Many people say, I'll just put it in my pocket and I I got it. But, you know, you businessmen and women, you don't think in those terms. And it's not a good thing because it can be stolen. It's best to have it in circulation. Like the Lord said one time, he gives so many talents to so many and such, and then they made an investment with it. And those who made a good sound investment... He uh, give them the dividends. But when uh, one man said, I did, I just kept it, I, I didn't want to take any chances on it, I, I, I put it in my pocket or I buried it somewhere, then he'd taken that, what he'd gave to him and give it to the one that had uh, drawn more dividends, had put it to a good investment. And that's our Lord's way of doing things. Now, but... Uh, if you were going to invest in something that you want to be sure in, you'd find some good, reliable f- firm that has uh, been proven that it'll pay off. Right now, that's a good, sound in- investment. If you've tested the firm, you know its backgrounds. Talk with somebody who's done business with this firm and hear the testimony of everyone. It's a hundred percent. They're always right on the dot with their dividends. They- And there's a great uh, resource capital behind it. The company's not going broke. And that's a good, sound investment. And now all through life, people's been uh, taught that. Now we're speaking tonight on the scripture of a young Hebrew boy. That was a a wealthy type of a lad. He might have come from a real good home, no doubt. His testimony showed that... He come from a, a good home. He was called in the Bible the rich young ruler. I'm going to change it tonight just a little bit. Say a rich young businessman, because he had a, a business and he was interested in in business. No doubt his father had been a great successful businessman, or he probably wouldn't have had what he had. But he was uh, brought up to to. Be a businessman. And he seen something in this young fellow of Galilee, this young prophet by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. No doubt he'd heard his priests speak about him and maybe against him. But when he got his first glimpse at the Lord Jesus, there was something about him that was different from any other man. And I say this as a Christian. It is truly, hasn't changed. We have great theologians in the land throughout the world. We've had them for thousands of years that uh, can introduce to us a, a creed, and they're schooled in those creeds, and a church that's, that's a well-established church, but uh, that still isn't my uh, my policy tonight I'm speaking of I'm talking about eternal life and this uh, young fella knowing that he was a member of the church but seeing in Jesus something different so he was uh, giving the opportunity to make an investment when he found Jesus and seen what he was doing and had read his Bible and Seen in Jesus that the thing that he's heard his prophets read in his church and what they were, and he no doubt studied that. And then when he saw in this Jesus of Nazareth, which was supposedly to be among the people, the prophet, he saw something in this man that identified him with the scriptures and I think today it hasn't changed too much. Bible readers and Bible lovers, when we really get a glimpse in our intellectuals of what Jesus was and what he is, it changes our entire attitude. There's no one like him. No matter how fine we said, we understand it, we suppose he had no much schooling and talk like a common man, and dress like a common man, and live with common man. But yet there was something outstanding about this man, and it attracted the attention of this young fellow insomuch that he had all the wealth of the world perhaps that he needed and would use in his lifetime. And he was well satisfied with that, but he seemed that this man looked into the future And told him the things that were coming. And identified himself in the scripture. And God identified himself in the man. Now there's not a man that lives. That's in his right mind. But what's always wondering. Where he come from. Who is he? And where is he going? There's been many books written. Philosophers. As raised and fell. But there's only one book. That'll tell you. Who you are, where you come from, and where you're going. That's the Bible. That's the only book. Of all the fine books we have, you could trash them every one. This is the truth. Anything contrary to this is not right. Heavens and earth will pass away, but my word shall never fail. Every man's word shall be a lie. God shall be true. And when you see something so definitely before you, and the Scriptures promised for that day what that Messiah was to be. And this young man seen that identified by God. Then that made Jesus altogether different from any other man he had ever seen. So, he was given the opportunity when he found the Lord Jesus and perhaps seen him in his meetings and his service. He ran to him and fell down at his feet. Showing his attitude of approach was correctly. And he said, good master, uh, what could I do to have eternal life? Now, that's the thing that's in question. Not his money, or not could I join your church, sir, or could I belong to your organization? But what must I do to have eternal life? That was the question. And he was given the opportunity to receive it. But he made a rational decision. He was turned it down. He wasn't interested when he found out what went with it. He realized that in order to do this, he had to give up his popularity. Because Jesus was unpopular. Unbelieved among uh, I would rashly say 90% of the people, or maybe 95%, was, he was disbelieved as some uh, evil-spirited person and was called by many Beelzebub, a devil. And yet the scriptures perfectly identifying him, he had referred back to them saying, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me, or tell who I am. This Hebrew lad, being raised up in a home and knowing that the Bible had, had clearly told them, the scrolls, God, Jehovah, had said that if there raise up one among you who is spiritual, our prophet, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in visions. And if what he says comes to pass, then hear that prophet. Or I'm with him. But if it doesn't come to pass, then do not hear it. That's plain uh, language. It's only sound thinking. If he said it and it doesn't happen, then it's a lie. God did not say it. But if he says and it, it does happen, that's truth. And nothing's more and more truer than truth. So this young man had seen this in the Lord Jesus and know that he held the keys to this eternal life. And he wanted this eternal life, but he turned down the opportunity to make his investment. He wasn't interested in such an investment, although the the, he was well identified that he was the Son of God, is perfectly identified, the virgin had conceived, brought forth the Son, he'd done every sign that Messiah was supposed to do. But in order to accept him, he had to get away from his tradition. He had to turn away from it. Let's follow this young boy just a moment before we close. Let's follow him. We find the next place that this young fellow, you know what happened to him? He never become a pauper for doing this. He never become a beggar on the street. He increased in goods. He had turned down the opportunity. Many times people today laugh and make fun of the Holy Spirit. They ain't go on and increase in their business. You know, excuse this expression. But when they're laughing, say, "Well, I look at me! If there's anything to it, see what well, happened to me. Something happened to me." You know, there's a a, a proverb that fools will walk with hobnail shoes where angels fear to trod. This young ruler practically did that. See, he made a, a horrible mistake, and we find out. That it never hindered his business, he increased. He got more popular. Got more goods. We find out after a while that he got so great that even he had to build new barns to put his stuff in. And because that the church has turned down the Holy Spirit in this last days, it's increased. And now you're going into the ecumenical council just exactly what the Bible said you would do. Now you're really late, Laodicea, rich and increased in goods. Just exactly like that young man was. He was a type of the church, rejecting. Paul was a type of the one receiving. Both of them had the opportunity, as you have tonight, and I have. He increased in goods, so as the church that the Laodicea needs increased in goods. And remember, he got so great, you became so pauper, till even the monarchs. The great people begin to come, and he set a great banquet one time, and there was a holder of the eternal life policy at his bazaar, and we find out that he's laying down at the door, oh, he might sweep some crumbs off to him. He had the opportunity again of witness. Lazarus testifying to him, but he just swept the crumbs off, oh, well, I'll try this, take this quarter or whatever, you know, that's about the attitude of 1964. Oh, I'll help a little. That's all right. Just let him go. See. But he held a policy. The poor in spirit, Matthew 5, tells us that's the one. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He went on increasing in goods and getting greater and more popular and a great man. But his payoff finally comes. It finally comes. On earth, he had a great payoff. He had a great funeral service, no doubt. The great denominational preacher come, probably spoke great words over him, might have half-mast the flag. fine businessman packed him to his bureau. But the Bible said in hell is paid off come for rejecting the eternal life policy. In hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he looked off across the great chasm, that Jesus said, No man has ever crossed or ever will, and he found the policy holder of eternal life comforted on the other side. Both of them, one had received it, both had their payoff. The crumb sweeper had the payoff. And now the rich man becomes a beggar. Let the policy holder come back and touch my lips with the, a little water, for these flames are tormenting me. Don't make the same mistake, businessman. You're a mortal just like they were. You've got to make a decision. Make your investment now. Make it sure. Make your election call and sure. Take out one of the policies. Look, just a moment or two more if you can. When Moses, who forsook being a king of Egypt, a Pharaoh, esteeming the reproach of Christ, Pharaoh looked out upon them people as a bunch of mud daubers. But Moses looked up on them as the people with a promise. Amen. How do you look on them? God's people. Amen. Moses had his payoff. Watch his pallbearers. The Bible said they were angels. Why? Nobody else could take him where he was going. There were his pallbearers. That was Elijah in a time that all the women cut their hair like Miss Kennedy and them does today. Painted their faces, the Jezebel, a king and all. The people went whirly. The church did too. And God sent in a prophet by the name of Elijah to condemn that thing. After he got old and tired, he was ready to go home. He didn't even have to die. His payoff come also. God just sent him down a chariot and some horses and packed him on up into the heavens. Stevens, who stood at the Sanhedrin, spoke out to him and said, Oh, you stiff-necks, uncircumcised in the heart and ears, rejecting the policy. You always resist the Holy Ghost like your fathers did. So do you. At his death, he had a payoff. He looked up, saw heavens open. Jesus standing on the right side. Moody. The last days, about a hundred years ago, a little Chicago shoe cobbler could hardly write his name. The paper sent to interview Moody one time. His ministry was so outstanding, they wanted to see, put in the paper, what made it, What was about Moody. What kind of a preacher? He must be in a dynamic preacher. So they sent for an interview to write their editorial. Moody couldn't even read it after they wrote it. So... His manager had to read it for him. And he said, here's the way the editorial read. He said, why anybody would go to hear Dwight Moody preach is more than I can say. He said, the first thing, he's the ugliest man i ever seen. Ball-headed and whiskers hanging down. And said, he's as, he's as big around as he is tall. And said, when he tries to preach, he can't read. And he whines when he preaches. Talks through his nose and lisp. When he got through, Mr. Moody just shrugged his shoulders and said, Sure or not, they come to see Christ. <laughs> well, that was it. Amen. No matter what the critics was, Amen. he held a policy. Amen. Amen. And when he was dying, the doctor said, That's death that struck Mr. Moody. He raised up, he said, You call this death. This is my carnation day. <laughs> he held the policy. My good friend, Paul Rader, when I was a little boy, I was, a, I was ordained to Missionary Baptist Church, and Paul Rader was a missionary Baptist also. So Fort Wayne, when he used to go here and preach later, got over here on the West Coast and got so much trouble and finance trouble till he got sick, finally led to cancer, and he was dying. Him and Luke had went together all their life, stuck together like my son and I. So when Paul was dying, the Moody Bible Institute sent out a quartet and they were standing there, Paul had a sense of humor. The little mighty little Moody Bible Institute with this choir sent down there or a quartet, and they were singing, Near my God to thee. Paul turned over and threw the sheet off of him and said, Who's dying near you? He said, Raise up them shades and sing me some good snappy gospel songs. And they begin to sing, down at the cross where my Savior died, down there for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied, glory to His name. Hallelujah. Paul said, where's my brother Luke? Luke was in the next room. He didn't want to see his brother die. He said, tell him to come here. So Luke walked in, many of you knew him, big heavy-set fella. Walked in, Paul reached out his hand, laying on the bed and tucked Luke by the hand, and looked up in his face, said, Luke, we've come a long ways together. But think of it, Luke, in five minutes from now, I'll be standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, clothed in his righteousness. Hey. Holding his brother's hands, his policy paid off. Old Dr. Bosworth that was here the last time with me, next to the last time, 84 years old, just returning from Africa. I had a call to come to Miami. I tore the tires off my car and nearly get there. Say so he was dying. I rushed to him. I know he is a policy holder. I went down. I went in the room there, the little bald headed fellow with his arms up, his little skinny arms. I run to him and fell on my face and cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Put his hands up on me and bless me. I said, Brother Bosworth, can I pray for you? No. And I'm not sick. I said, What's the matter, Brother Bosworth? I said, I'm just going home. I said, I knew that. And I said, I want to ask you something, Brother Bosworth. I said, when was the greatest time of your life, your ministry? You've been serving God before I was born. We've been on the mission fields together. We've been in storms in the air and on the sea. You stood by me when I seen devils on every side of witch doctors and great thrills when we seen God paralyze me standing there. What was the greatest thrill of your life? He said, right now. He's fixed the cash in his policy. He said, all I've lived for, Brother Brenham, has been Jesus Christ. And any minute, he'll walk in the door to take me home. Yes, those were policyholders that give everything they had and invested it in the pearl of great price. Won't you invest tonight, too, while we bow our heads? I cannot see across the audience. I do not know what's, how many or who is looking in, in the closed-circuit television tonight. I'm going to ask you, friend, let that, this be idle words. You're a mortal. You must die. You know it. And it may be before morning your time will come. I'm not a person, not much on persuading and because Jesus said, all the Father has given me will come. If there's a room in the heart for that policy tonight, won't you accept it? That policy is Christ. God's love offer policy for you. His word to become alive in your heart, making you part of Him. He is the Word. Accept Him into your life, won't you do it? And make this great investment.
0: As we get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teaching by Solomon showing us the vain nature of life. You've given us so many blessings and the gift of life itself. But how, Lord, if we just get in shrouded in it and forget the things of the Word and of and the spiritual things of God and how, oh Lord, it's such a finite life and it doesn't lead to anything ultimately and it's full of vanity. So we refuse to set our eyes on things of this earth and we set our eyes on things above. We thank Thee for giving us that wisdom and that foresight. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes stayed on you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, we'd really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you.
3: Super